Hello, brothers and sisters. I was at the cross today. It was very nice out. The sun was warm, and there is bare ground up there, so it should not be a whole long time before spring takes its grip on this icy land that we're living in, and we can be together and worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, at the cross. I have the second installment in the sermon series that I've titled Conversation or a Verse from John chapter 3 and we have a lot to go over so I'm going to say a quick prayer and then we will get into a recap of uh, chapter 3 verses 1 through 10 of John and then we'll begin our section of John 11 through 17. Father, I thank you for this time that you've given us to record this sermon, to listen to this sermon, Lord, to think on this sermon, to study this sermon out in our own special time of prayer and study, Lord. We thank you that you have sent your son to die upon that cross, that you have sent him to pay for these sins of ours that we could never pay for. We thank you for that cross, Lord. We thank you for your son. For it is in his name and through that blood shed upon the cross that we pray. Amen. Now, John chapter 3, verses 1 through 10 that we did in the last sermon, we gained knowledge of Nicodemus in it. We learned that Nicodemus was a Pharisee and a ruler of the Jews. We learned that Nicodemus came to Jesus as an equal armed with a self perceived facts from what appears to be a group discussion as he said in verse 2 we know you come from God no one could do these miracles if they hadn't and that shows us that when I say a group discussion that Nicodemus didn't say I know he said we know that you come from God so that's telling us that at some point the Pharisees and the rulers of the Jews or the rulers of the Jews had had a discussion about Jesus. And we are just in John chapter 3 and there's much, much more to the gospel story to go. We're told that we must be born again to see the kingdom of God. We're told we must be born of water and the spirit. Otherwise, we cannot enter the kingdom of God. And this comes from an exposition of Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27, which reads, Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean. From all your filthiness, from all your idols, will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart of our flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. Jesus used this exposition of Ezekiel to show Nicodemus and to show us that Nicodemus didn't know what he thought he did. Jesus showed him that without being born again, you cannot know biblical truth. Without being born again, you cannot see God working. Without being born again, you cannot see that Jesus is God. And without being born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven and you cannot go to heaven. 
Nicodemus then asked Jesus a series of questions that proved Jesus' point that Nicodemus was not born again and did not know biblical truth and the Spirit unveiling it, but rather what he knew was through basic human learned knowledge. After this interaction, Jesus questioned Nicodemus with this question, and I'll paraphrase it. You're a teacher of my people, and you don't even know this. Basically, what he had said to Nicodemus was, you don't know the author of the book you preach, yet you are convincing enough that men believe you and believe what you are saying is ultimate truth. You think you know it all, but yet when Jesus comes with scriptural truth and knowledge, Nicodemus didn't believe him. It's like teaching about someone's autobiography, and yet when the person you teach about is telling you, the author of the autobiography is telling you about his writings, telling you more about his life, and teaching you more about his life, you won't believe them. Now, hopefully you went back and, and read in John chapter 3 and did studying on the last sermon. Did you notice in verse 2, that it wasn't Jesus' teachings or knowledge that made the Pharisees know that he came from God, but rather the miracles. The miracles. Verse 2 reads, This man came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God were with him. Because the Spirit wasn't operating within them, because they were not born again, because they were not made alive in the Spirit, they didn't see Jesus' teachings as any different from their own. What they did see was the miracles. What they couldn't know in the Spirit through the teachings, they did see with their fleshly eyes. And it wasn't the life-transforming power of Scripture. And it wasn't the Word of God alive and standing before them in the person of Jesus Christ. It wasn't the power of God come alive in the teachings of Jesus. It was the miracles. We know you come from God if you can do miracles. We know you come from God if you can do miracles. This is not a good measure to tell if someone comes from God or not. And how do we know this? We see in Matthew 24, 24, the Bible says, For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Speaking of the Antichrist in 2 Thessalonians 2, 9, Paul wrote, Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders. In Exodus chapter 7, as Moses and Aaron stood before Pharaoh, as Moses and Aaron did signs and wonders, Pharaoh called his wise men and his sorcerers, who did in like manner, did these same signs and wonders in like manner, these sorcerers with their enchantments. So we can see that miracles alone are not an exclusivity to God, to Jesus Christ alone. How are we then to recognize those come from God and those not of God. John wrote in 1 John 4, 2 and 3, Hereby you know the Spirit of God. 
Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. In Matthew seven sixteen and 20, it's written, You shall know them by their fruits, and in 20, wherefore, by their fruits, you shall know them. This is how we are to discern whether one is of God or not of God. Number one, by their teaching. Number two, by their fruit. The word of their mouths confessing Christ and how they live their lives, how they walk out their Christian faith. Nowhere, nowhere are we to judge from God or not from God by miracles alone. The Pharisees seen the miracles and they didn't focus on the teaching or the fruits. And Jesus calls Nicodemus on this in verse 11. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak what we know, and testify what we have seen, yet you receive not our witness. Jesus stood as the author of the Bible before Nicodemus. He tells Nicodemus about being a born again. He exegetes Ezekiel 36, 25-27. He tells Nicodemus, what is flesh is flesh, what is spirit is spirit. And the spirit moves as it wills, yet Nicodemus doesn't understand. Perhaps Nicodemus doesn't believe. We have no idea, though, through the written word, how Nicodemus accepted these facts. If he was inquisitive about them, if he was irritated by them, or did he become belligerent? And like I said, through the written word, we'll never know. We don't know how Nicodemus answered. Did he say, really, how can these things be? Or did he say, uh, really, how can these things be? Or did he say, yeah, well, how can these things be? We just won't know. But to that question, Jesus replied, How being a teacher, you do not know these things. He said, We have told you what we know, and you don't believe us. We tell you what we've seen, and you don't believe our witness. I tell you about things of the world, and you don't believe me. How will you ever believe me when I tell you of heavenly things? And with that, the conversation is off and running. Jesus is going to unload spiritual truth on Nicodemus. Jesus just told him that he doesn't even believe him in the earthly realm in verse 12. But here, starting in verse 13, Jesus starts telling Nicodemus about spiritual things. Verse 13, For no man ascends up to heaven, but he that has descended from heaven, the Son of Man, which is in heaven. This is where Jesus tells Nicodemus the harsh reality. He says, Nicodemus, we are not equals. We are not equals, Nicodemus. I am not a prophet. I am the prophet. I am not a rabbi, Nicodemus. I am the rabbi. I am the one the scriptures speak of the one who is in heaven. I know all about it, and have come to earth as both God and man to bring salvation and knowledge of that kingdom. And yet while I am here, I am still there. You are a teacher of Israel. I am Jesus Christ, Son of God. In fact, Nicodemus, I am God. Jesus follows up his first heavy blow to Nicodemus's facts that he knew from verse 2 with another Old Testament reference that Nicodemus would have read and has been able to access entire his entire life and that being numbers 
21, 4 through 9. Moses and Israel were in the wilderness in this section of Scripture. And it reads, And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Wherefore, have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loathes this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten, when he looks upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass, and put it upon a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. When Jesus used the reference to the serpents, in verse 14, he said, told Nicodemus, and as Moses, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must that Son of Man be lifted up. Moses, Moses likened, or Jesus likened the serpents to sin. Sin caused the fall of man in the garden. Sin continued to bite and kill many. The people cried out, We have sinned. Forgive us, Lord. To cure the serpent bites. The Lord has Moses make a fiery serpent of brass and set it on a pole. And those that are bitten must only look upon the brass serpent to live. And with this, blow number two is delivered. Just as a brass serpent was lifted in the wilderness to cure the venom of the serpent bites, Jesus said, I shall be lifted upon the cross. There, between heaven and hell, I shall hang to bring the cure for the sin that curses through the veins of those who have sinned against a holy and righteous God. Just as Israel in the wilderness looked upon the brass serpent to survive, the serpent bite, so shall those bitten and walking dead in their sin shall look upon the Son of God as the only way to live. Jesus Christ is the only antidote for the deadly bite of sin, Jesus Christ and Him alone. No other stood in our place to pay for sin. No other stands between God and man as mediator. No other says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This was the one-two punch to Nicodemus. I am the Son of God. I am the only way to eternal life. Bam, bam. Jesus could have stopped right there and walked away, but he didn't. He continued on. And I'm sure by continuing on, he was leaving Nicodemus speechless. That when he said that whosoever believes in me, in Jesus, shall not perish, but have eternal life. And here we enter into one of Christendom's greatest debates. And one I will touch on here and why I have titled this series, A Conversation or a Verse. We must take these following verses in context or our theology goes askew quickly. And they are verses 15 and 16. The whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
For God so loved the world that he has given his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There is a school of thought out that is fairly modern that all one must do to be saved is to believe in Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. Believe. It's the forerunner to the say the prayer and you're going to heaven theological view. Both of these views are oftentimes referred to as easy believism. Believe in Jesus and you're saved. And here is where we need to decide if John 3.16, the world famous verse that shows up at sporting events, that shows up on roadside signs, that is in the hands and in signs of street preachers and churches and ministers around the globe. If John 3.16 and in turn 15 and 17 preceding and following, are they standalone verses? Or are they part of a conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus that we must take as a whole? Jesus said you must be born again or you cannot see the kingdom of God. That you must be born of water and a spirit or you cannot enter the kingdom. Yet, yet, ten verses later, Jesus says that whosoever believes in the Son of God shall have eternal life. Again I ask, conversation or a verse? Because these two things seem contradictory to each other, don't they? And here I must ask you this, in James chapter 2, verse 19, James wrote, The devils believe in God and shudder. So if belief in God alone saves you, are the devils saved? Well, John said we need to believe in the Son of God not God. Yes, yet with a proper understanding of Scripture, we see God, we see Jesus Christ, and we see the Holy Spirit as one. They call them the triune Godhead. To separate these three takes you away from biblical Christianity and into Unitarianism, that each member of the Godhead is one, three individual persons, rather than three in one in the triune Godhead. When James said the devils believe in God, he was saying they believe in the three-in-one Godhead. They believe in God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and shudder. And here we see scriptural proof that belief alone doesn't save, or these devils would be saved. If we do not see the Godhead as triune, Think of this, as Jeff Ashley wrote in a recent article, if God is not triune, if God is not three in one, then Jesus is not fully divine and Christianity is nothing more than another religion vying for your attention. To think that all that is required is belief in God to inherit eternal life is called easy believism. The belief that all you have to do is believe to be saved, that all you have to do is believe to see the kingdom of God. In this conversation, Jesus tells us much different. This is why we must never, I repeat, we must never take one verse and build our theology from it unless it has been extensively studied and proved to be what we think that verse says and means. Jesus clearly said, in order to see the kingdom of God, 
we must be born again, be born of water and the Spirit. These are the believers that shall have eternal life, those who have been born again. Verses 16 and 17 together read, For God so loved the world that he hath given his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall, should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world, that he should condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Again, I ask you, is this part of a conversation or single verses? It has been taught. I have been taught this. And I may have in my early days even taught this. That all you have to do is believe and you're saved. Jesus paid for the sins of the whole world. But while that's been taught the world over, I can say that while Jesus' death certainly can pay for the sins of the entire world, it simply didn't. And the reason is this. If the sins of the world are paid for in their entirety, no one goes to hell. Their debt's paid in full. You cannot punish someone. You cannot punish someone if they have no outstanding debt. If Jesus paid the debt for the whole world, and all you have to do is believe, simply saying you believe, then everyone in this world is saved. And scripturally, we see that's not the case. But, but all you have to do is believe and you're saved. Don't forget what Jesus spoke during the Sermon on the Mount. And this was in Matthew chapter 7. In verses 21 through 23. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, we have, not, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I'm sure these people believed. I'm sure these people believed. But were they born again, or were their works done in the flesh to satisfy their own humanity? Jesus himself said in verse 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. An oral confession doesn't always indicate a changed, born-again, repentant heart. Well, who is the world then? Well, the Greek word for world is cosmos. And the cosmos is talking about the Jews and the Gentiles. Not the entire world as a whole, the Jews and the Gentiles. Jesus was opening the gates to the kingdom of God to the Gentiles. At this time, the belief was that the Jews owned the sole rights to heaven. Jesus lands another blow to Nicodemus and his theology. He tells him, the gate you feel you are the keeper of, the gate that has a Jewish-only sign affixed upon it, 
This gate has been kicked off its hinges by Jesus Christ. Jesus is saying, I am that gate. I am the only way to the Father. And when the cross is complete and that gate is open to the people of the entire world, it will be not just to the Jews. All the born-again believing ones of the cosmos, Jews and Gentiles alike, it will be open to. Jesus, when he dies on the cross and is resurrected, it won't just be for Israel. It'll be for the believing ones, the believing ones of the United States, the believing ones of Germany, the believing ones of Brazil, China, Australia, Hong Kong, Kenya, the believing ones of the entire cosmos. Those are the ones that are born again, the born again believers of the cosmos. In closing, I want to look back again at this conversation that Jesus and Nicodemus have had so far and the facts of it that Jesus has given. He told Nicodemus the plan of redemption that was coming. This is how it is going to be. This is how the Jews, the Gentiles, this is how the cosmos is going to be redeemed. He told Nicodemus, you must be born again, born of water and a spirit to enter into the kingdom of God. He tells him that being born of the Spirit is a work of the Spirit. Jesus told Nicodemus, I have come from heaven, from the Father. I am the Son of God. I'm not your equal, Nicodemus. I teach not as one that God is with, but I teach as God. I will be placed upon the cross. I will be lifted up. And through the cross, all the born-again believing ones shall have eternal life. But not only those in Israel, not only the Jews, Nicodemus, but those of the entire cosmos, those that are both Jew and Gentile. I leave you with this section of Acts chapter 2 that shows that what Jesus had told Nicodemus would happen, it was happening. Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hear and hearken to my words. So Peter is standing with the eleven other apostles, and he's preaching or calling out to Judea and Jerusalem. And he tells them, and I'm going to go through and give you the highlights. He tells them this Jesus in verse 32, this Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. So we see Jesus being raised up. Verse 36 and 37, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God, God hath made that same Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? We see that the hearts are pricked, that the Spirit of God is changing these hearts. They were told in verse 38, Peter said unto them, Repent. The Geneva says, Amend your lives, which is the definition of repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Repent and amend your lives and be baptized. Verse 39. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And here was the promise made to the cosmos across 
generations and across the entire cosmos. Then, verse 41, Then they that gladly received this word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000. Those with the changed hearts believed in the Lord Christ, were baptized. They were given the gift of the Holy Ghost. In that day, 3,000 were added to the church. Now, Jesus doesn't stop after verse 17 in his conversation with Nicodemus. He goes farther. He starts talking about what exactly it is that the people are supposed to do after their hearts have been changed after they've repented and put their faith in Jesus Christ and been baptized, after they've seen this promise that's been made to the world and made to the cosmos. And our next sermon is going to cover these actions, and these actions are slightly detailed in verse 42 of chapter 2 of Acts, and it's also in Ezekiel 36, 27. And this this next sermon will cover the actions of the believing ones and how they shall differ from those who believe and are not born again like the devils. So we're going to see the difference between the born again children of God and those who have just had a false profession of faith and say they believe but have had no amendment of life. Verse 42 reads, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Belief in Jesus Christ is not the end. It's only the beginning. The human soul has went through a lot. By the time it gets to belief in Jesus that the, the Spirit of God has orchestrated and ordained and has started in the work upon the, upon the Spirit. And next time we're going to see exactly what is expected of us and what we shall see in our lives as Christians. What Jesus is going to tell Nicodemus about what follows the cross, what follows that belief in him and how our Christian walks will be walked out. We are simply at the beginning of our walks. Some are toward the end. But wherever you are, your walk is not done until you take that final breath. Your time on this planet your time preaching and witnessing of Jesus Christ as a risen Lord and Savior is not done until that last breath is taken. It's not done until your eyes close for that final time. It's not done until your mouth can no longer form words. It's not done until your heart no longer beats on this earth and can no longer beat and praise Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this message, Lord. We look forward to what you're going to bring out in the, the third and final piece of this sermon series. 
We thank you, Lord, that you pricked our hearts, that you showed us the difference between our lives before Christ and what our lives in Christ will be. We thank you that you showed those of us who are born again, that you showed us exactly what it means to see your sin, to see that we have broken the law, to see that we are sinners, that we have sinned against you and that we need a Savior, Lord. We thank you and we praise you that you have chosen us to be among those that you consider born-again believers, that you just didn't stop at some useless and in vain fleshly profession of belief in your Son, but rather you changed that heart and carried us farther on into the walk, carried us farther on and pushed us toward being more Christ-like so that we can be on the front lines, Lord, that we can be on the front lines and be your mouthpiece, your arms and your legs on this planet to help you bring the rest in before the second coming of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it is in that name and through that blood that we pray. Amen. Till next time, brothers and sisters, be blessed.